Hey there, I'm Becky, and welcome to Literary Escapes with me, Becky. Today's episode is an author interview that I did in my membership book club, Literary Escape Society. If you enjoy hearing the behind-the-scenes story about your favorite books, you might want to join the Literary Escape Society. There'll be a link in the show notes if you'd like to check it out. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Episode 5. Today I have the absolute pleasure of talking with author Jan Moran. She wrote the book The Chocolatier. If you haven't read it yet, you definitely need to. If you're ready for an escape to the Amalfi Coast, this is your book. So Jan, let's jump right in. Let's talk about The Chocolatier for a little bit. Um, You set it in San Francisco, Amalfi, and then Peru. So how did you choose those specific places for this story? Mm, uh, Yes, well, I wanted to to start the story. uh, One, she was an American. And there in San Francisco, there's a huge Ghirardelli sign that's been there for decades. And of course, I had to go back and research, and was it there then? And uh, and I love San Francisco, another one of my favorite cities. Uh, Sephora, or in Europe, it's Sephora, was their uh, U.S. headquarters are are there. And so when I had my company, I was creating the t- the touch screens for for them and also for duty free stores around the world. And so that was just an outgrowth of a book I had written in the in the early 90s um, called Fabulous Fragrances. I had, uh, I knew some perfumers and I had been working in the beauty industry and it was just a a natural outgrowth. Was that a nonfiction book or? Nonfiction. And then I also had, um, uh, I have a background. I was a COBOL programmer way back in the day. And (laughs) so I had that too. So I fused that and came up with this tool that could be used Uh, in the beauty industry and uh, they still have it it's called fragrance IQ and skin IQ anyway circling back uh, (laughs) there in San Francisco so I used to travel there once or twice a month and it became my second home uh, for a number of years so uh, I knew the sign I knew the location I could see everything and typically uh, I'm very visual so I can close my eyes and I can just run that movie reel in my brain and I can set the character and I can can see where they're walking and you know what's going on around them the sights the the smells the sounds how things feel around them all of the senses I love to write about the senses and so um started there uh by in the the shadow of the Ghirardelli sign Italy my publisher in Germany loves Italy and they love to vacation there. And she begged me for a book set in Italy. And I had just, I had come off of um, The Perfumer, which is based in various locations in uh, Europe, primarily France, Poland, some in Germany, England. And so uh, I had written that one. And then I wrote The Winemakers, which was set in Napa and Montalcino, Italy, and wonderful wine region, uh, Tuscany. And so the readers had loved Italy. And she said, do you have any more in Italy? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I do. (laughs) (laughs) So so, uh, I love Amalfi. And one of my friends is uh, from Naples. Also, um, 
you know, we talked a lot about Amalfi, the, uh, the peninsula, and there were little things that he brought into the story too, uh, such as the coffee in Naples is unlike any other coffee in Italy. And they're very proud of that coffee. And so of course I had to bring that coffee into the story and the local dishes and how they're, and not just the local dishes, but the local dishes at that point in time. So I love to include food and food scenes in books, mm -hmm. as, as you might remember the, the kitchen scene where they're cooking. And then uh, someone said, what was your favorite, one of your favorite scenes to write? And of course it was the kitchen scene in at the chocolate uh, the manufacturer. <laughs> I love that one. That was Love a good that. one. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I were there. <laughs> and, uh, and then, of course, Peru came into it because I was looking for, it was between Peru and Central America, some of the top traditional cocoa bean producing regions. So uh, I met uh, Valrona, the chocolate maker um, from Europe. They put me in touch with two um, farmers from Peru, uh, cacao farmers. And so they brought them in to speak to a group of pastry chefs in San Francisco. There's San Francisco again. So they invited me and uh, I spent a weekend there. It was absolutely fascinating. And of course, they had brought all the cocoa beans and, and uh, you know, showed us how to open the uh, the pods, and then they talked about Le Grand Blanc, which is the right. white bean, and so that is a thing. But anyway, I'll I'll leave it oh, there. And, yeah. Uh, so, uh, have you actually been to Peru? You know, that's the one place I haven't been that I've written about. Everywhere else I've been, or uh, in my current series, Summer Beach, uh, is a created village on the coast of Southern California. And people will say, oh, I see Encinitas in that. I see Carlsbad in that. No, it's Laguna Beach. It's, like, it's all of them, <laughs> it's actually. Probably, yeah. <laughs> I, I did a mashup. But uh, yes, all of all the other books I've traveled. Uh, I wanted to go to Peru in the, in the interest of time. I didn't have time to. And so I drew very heavily uh, on these on these two gentlemen who were so giving of their time. I also have a girlfriend from Peru. And oh, so God. she, uh, I've known her for, oh goodness, 30 years. And so uh, she gave me a lot of information on it. So if I haven't been somewhere, I'm relying on firsthand uh, information. And that's really the only way I would feel comfortable writing about a place that right. I've not been. Yeah. So how do you get the feel of the time? Because, mm -hmm. I mean, this one was set in the 30s and in the 50s. And so how do you make it feel like that? You know, I could feel like we were there. Sometimes I think I was born in the wrong period. <laughs> but my, you know, my grand, my mother was born in 1924. And my grandmother in 18, I think it was 1885. So you know, storytelling was a way of life in my family. There was all, there were always telling stories. My grandmother and my mother kept a lot of things. When I was growing up, I played with paper dolls. Remember those? Mm -hmm. I played with paper dolls that uh, I didn't know at the, at the time, but they were, I mean, I knew they were old and my 
grandmother would say, be very careful. Uh, but these were paper dolls that had, she had cut out when she was a girl. And wow. then even as a, her, her sister was much younger. So the styles ranged from uh, the late 1800s uh, into the Edwardian period. And, you know, they had the, the big, you know, puff sleeves and the narrow uh, across the forearm and, and of course the high necks and the, mm -hmm. you know, just the Edwardian styles and the late 1800s. Um, but another thing I love is fashion. And even though it might not be entirely fashionable now anymore, but, <laughs> <laughs> but my mother had, um, had a great love of fashion. And, and again, you know, they were all sewing. And uh, I remember she, they went to Newfoundland during the war, during World War II. And my father was a pilot. So he would ferry planes from Newfoundland to Greenland and then drop down into England because they, they didn't have the technology yet to go right. straight across the pond. And uh, he was older, so he wasn't in combat, um, but he was a, a farrier. She, <laughs> she was from Houston, so she was not a country girl. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> so she goes to Newfoundland in the 40s. And before she goes, and she had never seen snow, so before she goes, she has all these cashmere uh, suits made, really fine, you know, uh, the style of the 40s, the slim fit, the jackets, the three-quarter sleeves, covered buttons. Uh, they were beautiful in every color, black, uh, blue, rose, you know, <laughs> all, you know, all Not of Not practical, but beautiful. Not practical, <laughs> practical. She gets there and, and it's just a, a culture shock, you know. I would imagine. But these clothes were so well-made that I still have them in my closet. Oh my gosh. I, I used to, she gave them to me and sometimes I would show up wearing one of them and she'd go, I know that. <laughs> so I love the fashions and I love how fashion often reflected uh, the history mm -hmm. uh, after World War II, uh, Dior and the new look and the, the use of voluminous you know, fabric in these wasp waisted skirts and the full or uh, waist and the full skirts that was luxury because they hadn't been. How you can have fabric again yeah in, in the u.s we had uh fabric rationing so skirts could only be a certain circumference uh, ready-made wow. um i i love the history the uh i studied a lot of the history uh, in the fashion and fragrance industry when i right. wrote fabulous fragrances but i've always been an aficionado of, of history and i think it has so much to tell us uh and there's so much you know, so much beauty and culture. And I, I love the stories behind it, how that came to be, what inspired people. So, um, yeah, so I love to immerse myself in history from food to fashion, music, you know, what was going on at that mm -hmm. time politically, even though I don't put a lot of that in the books, I, I do have to know. So I have to know their entire world. I have to construct it. So you obviously have a love for chocolate. Yes. I would assume so. <laughs> the way you described it in the book was so, I mean, it, it used all the senses it felt like. And tell me, I guess, about your history of chocolate. I have three of my books I call my sensory books, which are The Perfumer, 
And that is, of course, was my first one. It grew out of my work in the in the fragrance industry right. and uh, heavily influenced by the perfumers I knew uh, and a lot of the artisan perfumers as well. And then the next one was the winemakers, which was set in uh, Napa and Montalcino. And um, that was a fascinating industry to to investigate. And then chocolate just seemed to naturally follow along with that from flowers to um, wine grapes to cocoa beans. And I'm at heart, I've always been a creator. And so I love to make things, you know, maybe that comes from my sewing or crafting when I was young, but I love to create things. And I'm always fascinated with people that take the earth's bounty, and I'm a gardener too, and I had fabulous tomatoes during the pandemic, fabulous. <laughs> and, uh, and so um, I love the idea of how we've learned to take raw materials from nature and turn them into luxury products, you know, really heighten that, you know, this is, this is the fine chocolate. That's the pinnacle of the chocolatier uh, of, of that industry. And so I love to see those artisans and, and really they're, they're artists, they're artists in chocolate. Exactly. Um, I met one of the early inspirations for that, I was living in near the beach uh, in, in Carlsbad and I was driving around and I saw this little chocolate shop and it said Chuao on it. And you might've seen the recipe in the back of the book from Chef Michael. And he was, uh, I think third or fourth, fourth generation, I think, uh, chocolatier from Venezuela. And his family had immigrated because of the uh, situation, political situation in, in Venezuela. And he was, uh, his, his whole mission is to spread joy and to spread joy through chocolate. And my mission is to spread joy and escape through, uh, through reading and writing. Right. And so we, we connected on that. And he had a, he has a spicy Mayan chocolate that I just Ooh. fell in love with. When you ask, what are my favorite chocolates? That's way up there. One of the top. <laughs> and uh, on many days, that it sounds is really interesting. Oh, and oh, not only did he have a shop there, but he also had a factory. So he invited me to his factory. And now, now I see the brand all over the country. So they've oh, done cool. very, very well. And he is, he's a chef. So he brings to chocolate that creativity. So he, he does some unlikely combinations. <laughs> he has one with potato chips and another with firecracker uh, little things wow. that explode in your mouth and it, it sounds uh, sounds funny so unlikely and and you go oh I've never eat that but I have to tell you they're they're very very good How and clever. He, uses, yeah. he uses a very high quality chocolate uh, we talked a lot about actually some of the best chocolate beans in the world come from Venezuela his family uh, they were cacao farmers their land of course was was taken by the government so mm -hmm. and he said sadly it's no longer producing and he said it's just the best soil the best climate the best elevation and it's just 
laying fallow now. We talked a lot about the chocolate beans. So in the book, she makes the distinction. I'm a chocolatier. I'm not a chocolate maker. Right. Because a chocolate maker is someone who makes chocolate from the from the, from beans, the beans, the roasting, okay. the from, uh, fermentation, the roasting, and so on. And so I'm eternally curious, and I just love to really dig into an industry and find out what makes, how do you elevate, uh, you know, how do you elevate Hershey's to the level of Chihuahua or Valrona or uh, some of these other artisan chocolatiers. Right. And I just, I just love that. So, and I love to share that information. And so I do scads and scads of research and I only use a little bit of exactly, it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Just, you know, otherwise I'd be writing a book about how to make chocolate. Right. And uh, so, but I just, I love that. So where is your favorite place that you've traveled? Or is that even a fair question? <laughs> That's like saying, which was your favorite book to write? You know, everywhere I've traveled, I, I've learned something and I love to explore the history. And I just love, I love meeting people. I love, I love hearing their stories. You know, when I ask someone, where are you from? I'm, you know, now that's not always a politically correct thing to say, but I'm truly interested in where people are from and, yeah. and their, their stories and their history and, and their ancestors. And, and, you know, did, and I love stories of immigration, you know, what drove people to move from one country to another. And in researching my own family history, I had uh, my ancestors were from France and Switzerland, and we're still discovering things. Um, cool. And you know, to think of what it took to to immigrate in, say, the mid 1800s, right. with a family full of small children, you know, six children under the age of ten. I can't even. I can't How even courageous that must have been. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the mode of travel, you know, was far from luxurious. Yes. So uh, I'm just, I'm fascinated by that. You know, were they leaving, uh, running away from something? Were they running towards something? something? Yeah. So, yeah. How interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're obviously, you know, a successful entrepreneur with your tech background. How did the transition go to becoming an author? I, I think I've always identified as being a writer. And I, I, that. Remember, I remember when I was going to college, I had the choice of studying and I went to college later. Uh, I was in my well into my 20s and uh, I had married very young and um, my son is, of course, older than I am now. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, I looked, I remember standing and, and looking at the different starting salaries for business versus journalism. And I, and I had a, my son, by that time I had been married and divorced and my son was young. And I thought, there's no way I right, can make yeah. it like that, you know, with my son. Yeah. I thought, I can't do that. And as much as I wanted to, and I, I couldn't see a clear path to, you know, be a novelist, be a novelist, stay home and write. And right. I, I, I couldn't afford to do it. So I went the business route and I did enjoy it. Again, I'm curious about everything. And I enjoyed it. And I enjoy bringing in that aspect too, because, um, my readers, uh, mostly women, but about 25% of my readers are men. 
And, uh, huh. and I think that that appeals to a lot of people who have been in the workforce or are in the workforce. Mm -hmm. And I like to get it right. And I've started businesses, I've run them, I've sold them, uh, I've seen them succeed, I've seen them fail. And I love to bring that in. And in fact, in the Love California series, the premise of the, the whole series is about how this group of good friends, these women are working or running businesses, but things don't turn out the way they expect. They do oh. turn out better, okay. but, they but not what they expect. And failures along the way. Okay. So I think it's important to show failures as well as successes. I love challenges. I love characters facing challenges. Yes. Yeah, so the business does come into it. Personally, I think it's fascinating to to start a business, and I mm -hmm. hope people enjoy reading about it too. But well, I, and that's yeah. It, your women characters, your female characters all have, you know, like Selena had the entrepreneurial spirit, even if yes. it wasn't normal for the times. Even um, the Adele, mm -hmm. is that, was Adele, that? Adele, in Adele yeah, she, you know, having her own business. And so you bring that into the stories, which I thought was really interesting. And Yes. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I think that history has done us a disservice because, uh, you know, there's the old, in writing, there's the old uh, saying that whenever you see a quote that says anonymous, anonymous was a woman. So uh, I know oh. that in, in my family, women were doing a lot of things. They just weren't necessarily getting credit for it. Right. Uh, but women were out there. I mean, we were doctors, we were scientists, Madame Curie. Well, uh, all in the war, you know, women were everywhere. They just, like you said, don't get running, credit for it. So. They were running farms, they were mm -hmm. uh, in manufacturing, they were, uh, you know, hidden figures, they were mathematicians, mm -hmm. they, they were scientists, they were not in as many numbers as there are today, but we were there. Mm -hmm. And so many women were running businesses or had shops, but there were a lot of hurdles. And I do write about those in some books from time to time. I mean, I remember vividly in the 1960s after my father died, I remember my mother got a credit card in her name for the first time. And she wept. Mm -hmm. I remember that. I remember it's funny. And, and she opened that. And I remember her just breaking down and I said, what's wrong? And she was just so, I mean, she had never had anything in her own name. And, uh, and it was hard to get. It was very hard to get. And stories in my family, you know, of, of women who had brought money into a marriage, it became their husband's property. Mm -hmm. And uh, in one of, I think it was the winemakers, uh, she has an inheritance but the bank won't let her open an account or draw out money. She has to have her husband's name on it. And that was common. That was common, even though it was our money. Right, right. <laughs> I get <right> about this. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, today we take for granted that we can um, open bank accounts and own property in our name. Uh, but once upon a time that... And it wasn't was even that possible. long ago. I mean... And no, it wasn't. And, you know... You know I remember my grandmother uh, marched me down to the bank and opened up a bank account for me when I was eight years old, seven or eight years old. And she wanted me to have a bank account in my name that was important that to her. Yep. She'd always yep. say, we can own property in our name. It's important that you do. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and always keep the oil rights. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so there was a lot of that information coming through, filtering through 
uh, in my family, and I know in others too, uh, we were doing things. We just weren't necessarily recognized. Right. Absolutely. So what inspires your stories? Hmm. So I saw that question and, you know, I, I don't always know where the stories come from. I usually start with a place. I'll say I want to set this in Italy or Napa or somewhere that I've been that I've loved and I can write about or somewhere I'm going. And now I'm planning my trips when I can travel again yeah. uh, around books I want to write. So place, and I've been so fortunate to have traveled a lot. So the setting comes to me, the main character, usually a woman, usually a woman in transition, whether she's going to another country or whether her spouse has died. Um, that's often a common theme you might notice. And I think that stems from seeing my mother as a, a young widow. Uh, right. She was 42 when my father died. So uh, then I'll, I'll have a woman in transition in some mm -hmm. way in her life. And then the decisions she has to make. And I love to write about women with children, um, mm -hmm. also a recurring theme and multi-generational. And I love to write about family secrets too. That's always <laughs> a good one. Yeah, that's always fun. Are you yeah. an art lover? Oh, yes. Oh, okay, because yes. in, yes. in the chocolatier in the hotel that they stayed at, there was a, a couple of art pieces mentioned, and we looked those up, and that was kind of fun to, to see about those. Oh, yes, I love to get those right. Yeah. Absolutely. So which scenes are the hardest to write, and which ones are the most fun to write? Mm -hmm. uh, in the chocolatier, I already mentioned the kitchen scene, uh, which <laughs> yeah. I, I just love. And uh, I loved writing about Lauro. He was, uh, I love writing about truly fine men. So that was, that was a lovely one to write. Uh, the harder ones were when they were in the, uh, in the jungle uh, in Peru. Those were harder. Just the emotion. I think about the emotion. Of, mm -hmm. That was a difficult one. I think one of the hardest scenes I've ever written was in Scent of Triumph, where, um, the grandmother uh, sacrifices herself to oh. save other members of her family. And it, that was just absolutely heart-wrenching. And, uh, you know, I was crying so hard I could hardly yeah. get through, even on edits, you know. And oh. uh, it just, some of those are so hard. I think the death of any character is, is hard for me to write because I become so involved in that character. And... Uh, and they may not be based on any one person, but they're an amalgamation of people that uh, right. you know, have known traits. And even though they they might not be real, there there are real people in history that went through those things. Okay. Yeah. And and you know people are neither when I write characters usually they're neither all good nor all bad. Right. So because most of us aren't. <laughs> and the main characters often make mistakes. And, mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes I'll get from readers, oh, well, she shouldn't have done that. Well, no, of course not. That's the point. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if she had done everything and right, yet she did. didn't have a story. <laughs> That's, a story. Exactly. <laughs> That's how <Yeah>. fiction goes. <laughs> That's awesome. That's funny. Our younger selves. What would we tell us? <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been Thank so you, much Becky. fun. Thank I've, you, Becky. I've enjoyed it thoroughly. It's been just a real pleasure. 
It has been a pleasure indeed. Thanks for joining me today on the Literary Escapes podcast. This episode was a clip of the interview I did in my membership book club, The Literary Escape Society. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to join the full interviews live, come check out The Literary Escape Society. We are a community of travelers who love books, or maybe book lovers who love to travel. Either way, if you need an escape, a literary escape, come join us as we read our way around the world together, one book at a time. Check out the show notes to learn more about the Literary Escape Society. And we'll see you next time on the next episode.